It's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. That's the decision of the American people. But I'm optimistic about this outcome. Keep the faith, guys. We're going to win this. I think he's right, actually. I, I hope he's right. I think he's right. We'll see. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Mm, we'll see. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Happy birthday, Nicole. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio. And Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, and welcome to the day after. The good news, it's not as terrible as that 1980s post-apocalyptic uh, TV movie about so, at least there's a nuclear that. bomb going off. Oh, man. And, by the way, Desi Doyen, it's certainly not as apocalyptic as the figurative nuclear bomb that went off in 2016. Hello. Uh, but, boy, howdy, was it a harrowing night for the nation, at least for those of us um, at least for, for anyone who hadn't heeded the many warnings before Election Day from many, many smart people, including even from me. It's important to understand that races are never, never, ever officially determined on election night in any state. Zero of them. The media may call the election for some candidate or issue or whatever, but uh, and a candidate might declare victory or might concede defeat. But there is nothing official about any of those calls. Elections are not certified until days or weeks after Election Day, after all ballots, all valid ballots are counted. So any media outlet or candidate, let's say the president of the United States who declares that they have won, is either making a best guess or they are trying to gaslight you. Well, which one do you think the Trump campaign is now planning to do? They plan on declaring victory on election night based on where they may be able to say that they are leading 
in some states and declare victory there. The GOP legislature in Pennsylvania has prevented election officials from even opening absentee ballots until Election Day. In other words, they can't even prepare them to be counted. They cannot do any of the authentication so that they are ready to go to be put through those scanners on Election Day. So the full results in Pennsylvania are going to be much slower in key states like that and Wisconsin and Michigan, where the GOP legislatures also have similarly prevented any tallying of those mail-in ballots until Election Day. So, you know, as Election Day voting is believed to be much heavier for Republicans after Trump has been telling them that mail-in voting is no good, Trump could have a lead in those states on Tuesday night if the reported results come only from Election Day voting. Do not fall for it. Nailed it. Yeah. You did. <laughs> Though, uh, I think that was Monday or, or last week. I think it was Monday. That was Monday. But in, in truth, uh, it wasn't hard to nail it. I mean, Donald Trump had been telegraphing he was going to do exactly this. Yes, you've been warning about this for months now. The numbers have been lining up, to, you know, so we saw exactly what a lot of us thought that we would see on election night. As you have likely heard by now, Donald Trump took to the podium at the White House in a room packed with maskless supporters, calling it a news conference to try and pretend it was not another unlawful violation of the Hatch Act, much less another COVID super spreader event, to falsely declare victory in the middle of the night and that it was Democrats who were trying to steal the election from him, vowing to go straight to the Supreme Court, which he cannot do even as he was losing in the Electoral College at that moment around 2.30 a.m. Eastern Time, losing, according to unofficial media calls for uh, various states around the country, which showed at the time that Trump was blatantly lying to the nation about the election from his bully pulpit in the White House. The numbers were showing that conservatively, Biden was ahead at that time in the Electoral College count by about seven votes. I think it was 220 to 213 at that time, uh, at least according to the I think I was looking at the New York Times. That official number with the uh, with the media, at least some of them since calling states like Arizona, well, Fox News and AP have both done so, if not everyone. And one crucial electoral vote won by Joe Biden in Nebraska. And now the critical state of Wisconsin has been called for Biden. And now, just before airtime, it looks like they are also calling Michigan for Joe Biden. All of those that had gone to Trump in 2016 now appear to have flipped to Joe Biden. And that has increased the former vice president's unofficial electoral lead to 39 votes as we go to air with uh, 253 for Biden, 214 for Donald Trump. 270 is all that is needed to win the presidency. 270. You don't even have to go over. As we go to air, Biden is now just 17 electoral votes shy of clinching it, at least unofficially, at least according to the New York Times. The Associated Press actually says Biden needs just six more electoral college votes. 
Now, millions of votes are still being tallied around the country, but in the states where media still have question marks by the official results as we go to air today, where ballots are still being counted, essentially Nevada, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona, for some in the media, if Biden wins all of the states in which he is currently leading, he will become the next president of the United States with exactly 270 electoral college votes. That's without uh, winning Georgia, where Biden is within 70,000 votes of Trump at this hour, with ballots in heavily Democratic districts still coming in. Uh, That's without North Carolina, where Trump is up by about 77,000 votes, though the odds of Biden catching him there appear a bit longer. And without Pennsylvania, where Donald Trump is currently ahead by about 450,000 votes. That sounds like a lot, but there are still a ton of votes out there because, as we had been warning in the days leading up to Tuesday, the Republican legislatures in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania refused to allow election officials to begin counting votes until Election Day. But where things stand at this hour, if Biden holds Arizona and Nevada, and Michigan, and Wisconsin, where he's leading in all the states, he becomes the next president without winning in Georgia or North Carolina or Pennsylvania. Winning any of those would just be a a cherry on top. And it was uh, the exact same story with uh, gerrymandered Republican state legislatures and Democratic governors in all three of those uh, so-called blue wall states that Donald Trump won in 2016. Won in quotes, of course, well, but yes. Reportedly won right. in 2016. Uh, but it was the same story in in all of them this year. They, uh, The Republicans simply refused to allow early counting of ballots to tee up what we are seeing right now. Here's Michigan's Democratic Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson explaining the problem and the reason for the delay which Trump announced during his appalling 2.30 a.m. quote-unquote news conference uh, that he he is hoping now to exploit to prevent the counting of legally cast ballots in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Now, notably, you may be thinking, why are we still waiting to hear from Michigan and why are they still counting our ballots? Well, for about 18 months, the election clerks throughout the state of Michigan and I called on our state legislature to update our laws to provide time for pre-processing of ballots that were on par with many other states, like our neighbors in Ohio, who were able to count the vast majority of their ballots yesterday. Now, our state legislature chose not to make that change to our laws, and here we are in Michigan where our counting process is continuing long after the polls have closed. But rest assured, we're focused on counting every single ballot. That's our focus. Every single valid ballot in Michigan will be counted. And importantly, also right now, there are tens of thousands of ballots that still need to be counted. And jurisdictions have been reporting throughout the morning, uh, as many of you know and have been following. But the information I have is that ballots are still being counted in our largest jurisdictions, including Detroit, Grand Rapids, Flint, Kalamazoo, and numerous other Michigan cities and townships. Now, these ballots were cast by tens of thousands of Michigan citizens who have the right to have their vote counted. And we're going to make sure that right is protected. We're going to ensure that the results of our elections accurately reflect every single valid vote that was cast. Uh, And this is particularly important in close races, as the numbers of outstanding ballots are still greater than the margin of difference between many 
many races with leading candidates. So at this point, I ask for patience out of respect to the will of our voters and the work of our election workers who are volunteering in communities all across the state to serve the public and are committed to ensuring an accurate count. That's Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Uh, Nice to have a Democratic uh, Secretary of State speaking like that, even in a state with a Republican legislature. Indeed. On Wednesday morning, the Trump campaign, however, declared that they will seek a recount in Wisconsin, where it currently appears that Biden will win by about 20,000 votes or so. That's almost the exact same number of votes that Hillary Clinton reportedly lost by in Wisconsin in 2016 when she did not seek a recount in that state, but she should have. Instead, Green Party candidate Jill Stein did, and we all learned uh, that Wisconsin now allows municipalities to quote-unquote recount any way that they like. It's up to uh, each town. They can either do it by a legitimate hand count or they can simply run the same hand-marked paper ballots back through the same unverified computer scanners that tabulated either correctly or incorrectly, those uh, ballots the first time. We will never know in those cases unless an actual hand count is sought across the entire state. When the state was recounted uh, that way, at least back in 2016, Donald Trump did increase his final margin by 131 votes. He'd now have to pick up more than 20,000 of them if these numbers hold. Biden uh, offered remarks to supporters in Delaware about 12.45 a.m. in the morning, I guess uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, to say that he felt good about where the campaign was. He said he believed they were on track to win the election, that it was going to take a while. He stressed the need for patience, saying it ain't over until every vote is counted. But that at that time, he was feeling good about Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan. And he said it was going to, quote, take time, but we're going to win Pennsylvania. Well, we will see. By contrast, in response, Trump took first to Twitter to lie that, quote, we are up big, but they are trying to steal the election. We will never let them do it. Votes cannot be cast after the polls are closed. Twitter had to flag that comment and a bunch of others that he's made since then uh, with a uh, this tweet is misleading warning. Nobody, in fact, is casting votes after the polls are closed. Nobody. Biden's response on Twitter to that was, quote, it's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare the winner of this election. It's the voters place. We feel good about where we are. We believe we are on track to win this election. A couple of hours later, Trump offered that uh, creepy uh, his false, creepy remarks to supporters in the White House, claiming that, quote, a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise his voters And that it was, quote, clear that we have won Georgia, likewise in North Carolina, likewise also Arizona. And that, quote, we're winning Pennsylvania by a tremendous amount. All of those are lies. Well, almost all are lies. Uh, He doubled down by claiming, quote, this is a fraud on the American people. This is an embarrassment to our country. We are getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election, he said. 
for the good of this nation. This is a fraud on our nation. We are going to the Supreme Court. Only one part of these comments was actually true, Des. <laughs> okay. That was the part about this being an embarrassment to our country. I see. Yeah. <laughs> but probably not as he meant it. Uh, even Republicans, including uh, some Republican supporters of this president, were in fact embarrassed by the lies told by the president of the United States at such a critical moment on the night of a presidential election. Here is Chris Wallace on Fox News just seconds after this creepy, quote unquote, news conference, giving his thoughts about it. This is a, an extremely flammable situation, and the president just threw a match into it. Uh, he, he hasn't won these states. Nobody is saying he's won the states. The states haven't said that he's won. Uh, you know, this goes right back to what Joe Biden said, which is the president doesn't get to say that he's won states. Uh, the, you know, the American people get to say it and the state officials get to declare it. Uh, and, and I guess and I don't know whether he literally means it, but he said we will be going to the Supreme Court because we want all the voting to stop. Well, voting to stop. Yes. But vote counting. Um, you know, the, the, or these states by state law all have the opportunity and states routinely are unable to count votes by election night or early into the morning of the day after the election. And it goes on for days. Now, there may be a question as to how long you can continue to accept ballots. But there's no question that all these states can continue to count votes for days. They don't have to certify for weeks how who has won the state. That was what happened in Florida back in 2000. So. I don't know if he literally meant that he's going to try to stop the counting of the vote, but I, I would think that that would be extremely inflammatory. And, and uh, frankly, I don't think it's something that the courts would allow. Well, you'd hate to see Donald Trump do something extremely inflammatory, <laughs> Chris Wallace, on Fox News. He would never do that. In fact, uh, people were today uh, in in sort of a, a redux of what we saw back in 2000 in Florida. There were people in, where was that, Michigan trying to... Detroit, uh, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, there were a, a crowd of Trump supporters who were trying to stop the count and actually uh, uh, charge the, char the, the counting room, tried to go through the counting room and overwhelm it with people, shouting. Stop the count. Stop the count. The police were called. And, uh, well, we saw this, uh, like I say, it's a, a repeat of what we saw in 2000. Yes, they, the, that's where they learned this The tactic. famous Brooks Brothers riot of Florida 2000. They are doing it again because bully, it worked. Bully your way into the presidency. Yeah. Don't stand for it. Don't fall for it, people. Uh, as the University of Kentucky election law professor and frequent guest on the broadcast, Josh Douglas, pointed out this morning on Twitter... Uh, there is no legal cause of action available to Donald Trump right now, much less directly to the Supreme Court uh, for, you know, I think I won. So stop counting the ballots that are in and declare me the winner. There is no cause of action for that. Nonetheless, Trump's campaign an hour or so ago announced their intention to sue uh, to temporarily somehow halt the counting in Pennsylvania and Michigan. Somehow, based on something, it is not clear. Uh, AP reports that suits in uh, both states, according to the campaign, are calling for a temporary halt in the counting until it is given, quote, meaningful access to locations where ballots are being processed and counted to review those which have already been opened and processed. 
Uh, I think they should have meaningful access uh, to the entire process, but I'm not sure exactly what it is they're, they think they're asking for now. Well, according to Marcy Wheeler, empty wheel, friend of the show, who used to be a poll watcher during mm-hmm. elections, she says that the, the Michigan counting officials say they are already at capacity for already registered poll watchers. These people were on top of those folks, and so that's a question to be answered about whether or not they were actually denied or if they were trying to get access to something they weren't authorized for. She used to do it in Michigan because she's from Michigan. I think she's now moved to Ireland but recently. But uh, yeah, so she knows. There have been no reports to date of any kind of fraud or any type of ballot concerns uh, out of really any of these states, out of Pennsylvania specifically, which is still the one that is uncalled of those three blue wall states. They had 3.1 million mail-in ballots. Those will take time to count. And an order from the state Supreme Court allows ballots postmarked by Election Day to arrive and be counted through Friday of this week, which Republicans were already challenging at the U.S. Supreme Court prior to Election Day. So we will see about that case and those ballots that come in. But as I say, at this rate, Joe Biden doesn't even necessarily need Pennsylvania. Even New Jersey Governor and Republican Chris Christie, uh, who advised Trump uh, during debate prep and caught COVID-19 from him as his thanks, even Chris Christie thought Trump's late night remarks on uh, on Election Day uh, that counting lawful ballots is actually some kind of fraud. He thought that was a disaster for Trump that undermined Trump's own case. Listen, I, you know, as a, a talk tonight now, not as a former governor, but as a former U.S. attorney, um, there's just no basis to make that argument tonight. There just isn't. All of these votes have to be counted that are in now. Um, in Pennsylvania, um, the argument won't even start in Pennsylvania until tomorrow or Thursday or Friday because the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended for three days when you could accept ballots. Now, I understand there could be an argument on that based upon Pennsylvania law, but that argument's for later. Uh, Tonight, this was not the time to make this argument, and I disagree with what he did tonight. There comes a point where you have to let the process play itself out before you judge it to have been flawed. And I think by prematurely doing this, if there is a flaw in it later, he has undercut his own credibility in calling attention to that flaw. It's not the kind of decision you would expect someone to make tonight who holds the position he holds. So even Republicans, Republicans who support him, like Chris Christie, are shutting Donald Trump down. The most telling response to all of this may have come from Ben Ginsburg. He's the Republican's top election attorney for many years, the guy who who successfully went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, speaking of Florida, to uh, essentially shut down the counting of lawful ballots in the 2000 uh, election down there, that disaster that ended up giving the election to George W. Bush over Al Gore. Even Ben Ginsburg thinks Trump was and is out of line with his late-night false claims about fraud in the counting of American ballots. Here's part of his very late-night conversation with Jake Tapper on CNN this morning. Is there a way for him to go to the Supreme Court and ask them to stop the counting of valid legal ballots from valid legal voters? No, there's really not, Jake. That There's no natural path to that. There are procedures for, as the vice president said, continuing to count the votes 
And you can certainly contest under each state's law the, the process of the way the election took place. And ultimately, you can try and get an appeal before the Supreme Court. There's no direct right of appeal for something like this to the Supreme Court. So these are all legally cast votes, and, uh, and, and the, the process of trying to toss them out for some reason would just, I think, be viewed by any court, including the Supreme Court, as just a massive disenfranchisement that would be frowned upon. But, I mean, these are legally cast ballots, Jake, or at least will be determined to be legally cast uh, ballots by the appropriate local county state officials. Uh, and uh, for a president to say we're going to disenfranchise those legally cast ballots uh, really is extraordinary. Now, there may be rules for the way ballots themselves need to be verified, and there may be instances when the margins of elections are breathtakingly close and fall within a state's required recount, but that's very different from what we heard tonight. Ben, you've been a respected Republican lawyer, election lawyer for decades, but have you ever seen anything like this before from a president of the United States? No, not even close. Not even close. Yeah. Now, as I always caution in the days after an election, we don't really yet know if there are problems yet with tabulation or other problems that people uh, may have had getting their votes counted accurately or at all. It sometimes takes days for those concerns or anomalies in the counting to begin coming to light. I've been fielding some questions throughout the day and concerns from various folks. So far, I don't see anything wildly troubling so far. But it is odd that Joe Biden seems to have overall done so well, yet it looks at like at, at this hour that Democrats will have a very tough climb if they hope to take the majority in the U.S. Senate. Many of the candidates who are most hopeful about Sarah Gideon uh, over Susan Collins in Maine, Teresa Greenfield over Joni Ernst in Iowa, Jamie Harrison over Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Steve Bullock over Steve Daines in Montana. They do not appear to have won on Tuesday, according to the still unofficial results. Democrats did flip uh, two uh, Senate seats in Colorado and in Arizona, where John Hickenlooper in Colorado won, Mark Kelly in Arizona won. There's still a few others that we, we will be watching. It, uh, it may come down to a, a, a runoff election in January in Georgia, maybe two runoff elections. Also, the House Democrats at this hour, they appear to have lost about five seats so far, even as it appears that Biden will most likely win the presidency as of now. That is just some of the many oddities about Tuesday's election that I hope to begin to find some clarity uh, in with the uh, great John Nichols of the nation. He's here shortly to help us begin that journey. Uh, anyone who tells you right now that they actually know what happened this election is just sort of making stuff up at this hour. We prefer to wait until, you know, votes are actually counted before we try to tell you why they were cast in the first place. But hey, good news, people. And I'm fairly certain of it. I think that the long national nightmare of Donald Trump's presidency may soon be over. So uh, we'll see, though. I've been telling you to buckle up today. I'm telling you to stay buckled. But hey, cheer up, friends. It could be much worse. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Much more straight ahead. 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In a tweet thread this morning, progressive economist and New York Times columnist Paul Krugman said, The more I look at this election, the less I imagine I understand. Florida, he says, was a surprise Trump triumph and also voted to increase the minimum wage to $15. California is very liberal, but voted to let Uber and Lyft keep treating their employees as independent contractors with no benefits. According to the Fox exit polling, he writes, majorities favor a government health care plan and a larger role for government in general. Yet they seem to have voted for Senate Republicans who want to drown government in the bathtub. Racism is Trump's brand, he said, but he outperformed the polls in large part with Hispanic and some black voters. Maybe the summary point is that although elected officials fall very well on a left-right spectrum, many voters don't see it that way or something. And, of course, he says the majority did vote for a center-left candidate. No idea what the true lessons are, he writes. At this point, I don't think anyone knows the true lessons this many hours after Election Day and before we even know who actually won or lost. For my money, I'll be happy if we can just start by learning the true vote count, which will take some time, even if we rely on the computerized tallies that are still being reported, much less any recounts that Donald Trump or even Joe Biden, depending on how things may go, may wish to seek. For now, however, it looks like Biden is more likely than not to win the presidency with at least 270 electoral votes for now anyway. But it also seems as likely that Democrats will not win back a majority in the U.S. Senate with incumbents such as Susan Collins in Maine, Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Joni Ernst in Iowa and others who Democrats had hoped they'd be able to defeat, having apparently won their races according to the unofficial vote counts. Though control of the Senate may ultimately come down to a runoff election in, yes, Georgia, of all places, in January. Anyone who tells you today that they know what happened on Tuesday, that they already know what the lessons are, is probably just making things up at this point, since we still don't even know what actually happened on Tuesday or didn't happen. So with that ambiguous caveat, one of the first folks that I thought of 
Late, late, late last night, this morning, as I saw Wisconsin moving into Joe Biden's column, was the man who knows Wisconsin at least better than just about anyone. Journalist John Nichols is Washington correspondent for The Nation, contributing writer to The Progressive and In These Times, and associate editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital, uh, Capital Times, where, as I like to say, he remains a favorite progressive son. He's also the author and co-author of many books on progressive politics, including Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. Well, it looks like those horsemen are still riding John Nichols, but they're getting a little wobbly on those horses, I'm hoping. John, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend, on a day that I suppose you have had uh, not much uh, sleep today. Fear that my uh, my amount of sleep is probably <laughs> equivalent to Donald Trump's amount of uh, good spirit this afternoon. Uh, or I thought you were going to say his morals, his respect for law and order, democracy, etc. Well, John, you know, I, I just think it's a bummer afternoon for the guy. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm hoping so. It should be. Listen, uh, John, I know it's a tall order today, uh, but last night when I was thinking about how to cover what happened and and what is still happening today and looking for the various bright sides to whatever happened on Tuesday, you immediately popped into my head because I've always found you, John, to point out the positive side of even our nation's darkest moments. Maybe it's uh, after a life in Wisconsin, you've had no choice. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking to dismiss or diminish the downsides. But what, if anything, have you seen or learned over the past 12 to 24 hours that might offer some optimism for uh, an anxious, patriotic, progressive listening to us today? Well, uh, let's start with, um, for those who are concerned about me, mm-hmm. personally, me, mm-hmm. um, my life just got a whole lot better. Is that right? Because as you well know, <laughs> I love Wisconsin, uh-huh. right? And I have always looked for ways to you know, produce a, a narrative about Wisconsin uh-huh. that's rooted in its progressive traditions. It got really hard four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was tough with Walker. It got really hard four years ago when Wisconsin voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And uh, it now, as of about 4.30 this morning, got a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because as narrow as the margin was, and it's only about 20,000 votes, 21,000 votes, so mm-hmm. it's really not a landslide. But as narrow as, as the margin was, it's a clear win. Um, and it came from uh, across Wisconsin. It wasn't just uh, Madison, very liberal town, or even uh, Milwaukee, also a very liberal town. Uh, you had mid-sized cities where it came through, and, and even some rural areas, although Trump did better than I, I'd like to see him do in rural areas. And so that's a big deal, because you took back a, a traditionally progressive state, and you showed that you, know, you could actually do this thing. Mm-hmm. And similarly, uh, what I think is going to happen in Michigan uh, very encouraging. Uh, looking like Pennsylvania, a lot to count yet, but looking in, in a positive way. Arizona flipped, Omaha flipped. Do you know what it all pulls together? It's an what? interesting thing. Yeah. Cities, urban areas. Mm-hmm. And in each of these states, you had initial results coming in, and they looked pretty good for Trump, and sort of a storyline developing, oh, Trump is, you know, maybe even going to win, you know, after Florida and stuff like that. And 
even to a point where Trump, late last night, went out and declared himself, you know, effectively declared himself a victor, said people were trying to steal something from him. And, and yet, uh, these cities, mm-hmm. where that a lot of people live and a lot of people vote, uh, were cast in their ballots. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes time to count the ballots. It takes time to do it right. And uh, despite all of Donald Trump's, you know, bombast, at the end of the day, that time caught up with him. And there's something delicious about the fact that big cities, mm-hmm. you know, Phoenix and Omaha yeah. and Minneapolis and Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia and maybe even Atlanta uh, have come through with the numbers that look, and we're early on here, I'm not going to yeah. make big predictions, that look like they may dislodge President Trump from the White House. And if you paid attention to the Republican National Convention and listened to his speech, and he listened to many of his speeches, what did Trump spend all his time doing, so much of his time doing? Attacking Democrat-run, so-called Democrat-run cities. Mm-hmm. And so I like the fact that the people he attacked the most, the people that he threatened to send federal troops in and federal forces in to, to try and you know squash their protests and, and diminish their, or minimize their outcry, um, they pushed back against him. And this is a, this is a remarkable result, and mm-hmm. I see something very positive in that. I even would dare say that there was something delicious, uh, or at least uh, appealing in the in the poetic justice of it. I, I, John, I'm 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 not surprised uh, about how the presidential election seems to be playing out in that regard, and and uh, you know winning the big cities and so forth. I am somewhat surprised. That House and Senate candidates did not do as well as predicted, at least according to the unofficial results being reported today. So uh, with with that caveat, I have no faith uh, in any of the reported results, as is uh, in that our democracy is not supposed to run on faith, but on public public oversight. But presuming the numbers that we now have actually represent the way that people voted this year, you know, good news in the cities, but what to what do you attribute the disparity between the seemingly, you know, overly optimistic pre-election polling and the, the so far ultimate results, uh, not just in the presidential race, but in the Senate and the House races? I mean, you can reach out to the cities and that might get you, I guess, the electoral votes, but it, it we actually looks like uh, we see the Democrats losing House races. They didn't win the, the many of the Senate seats that they had hoped to, presuming the numbers are, are right. Do, do Democrats need to reach more to their own base rather than reach out to uh, to Republicans to come over to their side, which is, seems what uh, Joe Biden's uh, uh, tactic was this time around? Yeah, look, uh, now we're getting to the reality part of this thing, because I could find some optimistic stuff, mm-hmm. but now let's go to the blunt reality. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, look, it, Democrats shouldn't be overly enthusiastic about a search situation where they have taken the presidency, and, or it appears. Again, mm-hmm. we still have a lot of votes to count, but mm-hmm. the prospect that they've taken the presidency um, without a Senate, because I've argued throughout this year that if Joe Biden is elected president with Mitch McConnell still in charge of the Senate. Joe Biden begins his presidency as a lame duck. Mm-hmm. That's he's, right. He's, 
at the very best, what he can do is negotiate with McConnell and to do any major initiative, including a stimulus. What that does is give McConnell veto power over uh, the you know breadth and character of Biden's presidency. Mm-hmm. That's that's a terrible position to be in. Yep. And uh, and you have to ask yourself, well, how do you get in this situation? Well, again and again and again. The Democratic Party thinks that they've scored a huge coup when they recruit uh, a neoliberal centrist uh, for a U.S. Senate seat. Mm-hmm. This, this really excites them. Right. The problem is these aren't the people that necessarily win things, and they, they aren't the people that necessarily beat incumbents. And so after all of the talk of this year, after all the, the passion and energy, you end up with a situation where you've dislodged two incumbents. Now, you might get two more, mm-hmm. uh, potentially, down in Georgia, uh, and that could, that could have us all speaking in a different language and, and thinking differently. But this didn't work. And, and I think one of the reasons it didn't work, this takes us back up to the presidential level, mm-hmm. is that uh, it's a simple, a simple example, and you referenced it in your intro. In Florida, uh, they, you know, one of the early disappointments for Democrats that night, you know, Trump wins Florida and wins it by a relatively comfortable margin. And uh, yet Floridians vote overwhelmingly for a $15 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to recognize is there are hundreds of thousands of people, a very substantial number of people, who voted for Donald Trump and for a $15 wage. Right. Those are people that it is, it is incomprehensible to me <laughs> that Democrats could have, couldn't have gotten them. Right. And why don't they think about this? Why don't they just think about it at a fundamental level. No, but, Frankly, well, why don't they also think in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania that in these places that have been so battered by neoliberalism and, frankly, by Trump, mm-hmm. that you are winning, you know, you're, you're measuring your victories in, you know, tenths of a percentage point. Now, to be fair, Joe Biden did come out in support, uh, as I, I, I think, and the fact that I don't know this for sure, maybe that underscores the problem here, but I think he did come out for a $15 minimum wage. Yeah. Um, is it that it is not uh, central enough to, uh, to the message, to the message of, uh, of, of not just the Democrats, uh, the, the, the Democratic presidential candidate, but to all the Democrats that they need to build uh, their, their platform around these sort of progressive ideals? I mean, I'm not... Listen, John, I, you know, there's going to be time for Democrats to do an autopsy on all of this and, and the internal fight between the institutionalists like yeah, Biden yeah. and the progressives like Bernie and Warren and, and AOC. That's going to continue. I'm not one of those who's willing, at least not today, to put you know so much into this sort of knee jerk. Oh, Bernie would have won it. Nonsense. We don't yeah, know yeah. that. We simply don't know that. But I am looking for, you know, what lessons we can find uh, for both progressives and the Democratic establishment and how they move forward together, because I think ultimately they have the same goal. Yeah, and well, a lot of the same ones. And, and uh, at some point there's going to be a push and pull there, and, and I think that that's, that is a reality. But fights for the soul of a political party are, are not always destructive. They can actually help to define that party, and, mm-hmm. and Democrats have had plenty of them over time, some of them which have been very positive. Republicans themselves have had such fights and actually in some ways to find themselves in the modern era uh, as a conservative party as a result of them. So um, I, I share much of what you're saying, and, and I especially appreciate that you point out that, yeah, Biden has indicated sympathy for, support for a $15 minimum wage. 
here's where the thing always falls apart, uh, and that is when you're going into a state like Florida, you've got a referendum on the ballot. Mm-hmm. What possible damage would it have done to Joe Biden to have TV advertising that said, vote for Joe Biden and the $15 minimum wage referendum, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Put it together. Amplify it. Uh, the Democratic platform uh, this cycle is actually a pretty decent platform. Not perfect, flawed in, in many ways, and I have plenty of criticisms of it, but there's plenty of material there to work with, yet they never talked about it. Yeah. In fact, in, in the debates, Joe Biden went out of his way to say, you know, I'm not a socialist, I beat Bernie Sanders, I'm not for the Green New Deal, I'm not for uh, Medicare for All, I'm for fracking. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes through all of these things, and, and you got so many things that he isn't for. That you end up with, well, what are what, you know? What if you're listening is maybe not quite as engaged as a broadcast listener. Um, you're an American. You're listening. You're trying to get a little flavor of the thing. Well, what you come away with is Joe Biden definitely wants you to wear a mask, mm-hmm. right? Which is a good thing. I'm right. for that. Super right. for that. And he also isn't going to send nasty tweets. And and that's not enough, really, to uh, to uh, to to light up a nation. Is it? Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. Um, it may, you know, in this COVID moment, I'm not sure that, that it isn't. I mean, I, and, and in fact, we should note that Biden has already, in the popular vote, yeah. surpassed uh, the margin that Hillary Clinton had over Trump uh-huh. four years ago. Yep. So, I mean, we should be cautious and we, when we look at these numbers about just getting what I often think of as sort of electoral college-itis, mm-hmm. where we're so focused on the electoral college numbers and the battleground states that we, don't, we, we miss the broad picture, right, the big picture, which is that we had an election. We have a sitting president of the United States. The majority of people in this country rebuked him. They said they didn't want him. And, in fact, by a margin that will probably grow to five, six, seven million votes. But so many, but so many did. Uh, uh, yeah. Vote for him, and you know, as a, as the author of Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, uh, you know the people uh, that are out there that uh, tr- Trump and his uh, buddies are catering to, and those people are still here. In you know, in the middle of a of a pandemic that has killed you know a quarter of a million Americans, a guy who has been impeached, who obviously lies as easy as he breathes. Uh, and has been, you know, self-dealing and everything else, they are cool with that. A huge chunk of Americans are cool with that. And I'm, I think, and I think we're still going to be trying to figure this out for a while uh, as to why that is. Um, John, you write at uh, the, the, the Nation today about the uh, desperate dishonesty of Trump's tweets on Tuesday night uh, that we are, you know, quote, up big, but Democrats are trying to steal the election. Uh, you note, though, that Twitter flagged that notice um, as uh, you know, false content. But then you write that I'm worried not only about social media, which is easily um, actually you write about that social media may not be enough and those flags may not be enough to uh, to overcome these lies. I'm going to add the corporate media's failings here above and beyond social media. 
their failure to, uh, you know, to 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 not just rebut Donald Trump's lies, which they've gotten pretty good at, but they continue to have sort of this right wing framing for everything. The idea that you mentioned, John, oh, uh, Joe Biden is not a socialist. Oh, he's for fracking. I mean, why does that conversation even have to happen? Why, after that second debate, does Joe Biden have to defend uh, transitioning away from the oil industry. If you listen to the, uh, you know, the network news, my God, it was the end of the world. He's going to kill our economy by shutting down the oil industry. I, I mean, it seems to me the media has as much to uh, uh, be responsible for this mess as the voters themselves. No, one hundred percent. I completely agree. And and you know how we know that. Because it's the media that asks the questions in the debate. Right. right? It's, it's representatives of the media. And some of them do a pretty good job. Some do a poor job on moderating. But beyond the moderation, the, the style and the character of the moderation, is the, the questions themselves. And it's always like, you know, don't you think you, you, you get beat because you're too left-wing? Or don't you <laughs> right. think? This, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's always. And, and the, the biggest problem I've got with this is that they are, they don't even look at the polling data, right? They're supposed to be mm-hmm. obsessed with polls, but they say, well, you know, how can you be for something so unpopular as Medicare for All? Well, <laughs> Medicare for All is really, really popular. Right. You know, and yep. so uh, the framing is really bad. And, uh, look, I don't know how, you know, good a kid you were in school or how responsible you were. Not good. Like not responsible. No. You know, what what <laughs> would you do if something got flagged as a tweet you weren't supposed to look at? Oh, I would, I would want to look at it, wouldn't you I? Jump right at yes, it, right? I would. Yeah, you go yeah. all in, and, yeah. and you feel kind of like a, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you know, a little bit risque, a little bit wild there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so that's there's where the problem is. I, I don't think that you, um, that you get power, and that you win debates by saying, oh, poo poo, I, I, I wouldn't say that, or I wouldn't do that. No. You, you counter by, you know, like coming in and speaking truth to power, challenging mm-hmm. it, making people, you know, go to bolder and, and more dangerous places because, you know, in a moment where things aren't great for a, a great many Americans, uh, to kind of be the, the police officers of the status quo, which is what media often is, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you stepped out of line. You're not doing the status quo message. I think that damages the process. And so uh, I definitely agree with you on, on blaming the media. I, I, truthfully, I think there is a political media kind of industrial complex. Yeah. And it's pundits, consultants, uh, you know, prominent media folks. And, and they, they look, you know, for lack of a better term, a lot of them have very comfortable lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, their concern is about like, a little unpleasantness, right? Donald Trump talks in ways you don't like and... You know, he does things you don't like, and, and, and yeah, well, absolutely. Those are, that, that's more than worthy of being noted. But they, they don't necessarily focus in on the deep, deep horror of not just Donald Trump's policies, but the policies that came before him yep. and made some people, a lot of people, so desperate they voted for Donald Trump. Not uh, all of them, but some. 
Well, I mean, and I think this uh, failure from the media goes back, uh, well, decades, John. You and I both have been uh, covering this at least since the George W. Bush era when the mainstream media sort of seems to be in lockstep with this, uh, you know, this right wing thinking, this right wing framing that pervades everywhere that makes it easy enough for someone to come out and say, well, uh, Kamala Harris is a socialist. And everybody goes, oh, my God, socialism. That's going to destroy the nation. Never mind all of the socialism that is already in place, including with one of the most popular programs in America, which actually has the word social in its title, Social Security. So, I mean, I I just think we're so far off the rails and the mainstream corporate media has still not figured that out. But I know you got to go. Let me uh, hit you with one more question that I think you are uniquely suited to speak to. Takes us back to uh, to your home state of Wisconsin, where, you know, you guys have very much been through this sort of thing before and arguably worse, where Democrats got very excited about the idea, for example, of recalling. Uh, then Governor Scott Walker, but failing to do so, and then about defeating him in his reelection, but failing to do so. Uh, here, at least, it looks like Trump will be ousted. But having gone through the worst of <laughs> such disappointments before, John, as as Wisconsin has too many times to count in recent years. Are there any lessons from that for us today uh, looking forward? Absolutely, there are. Um, one is that you don't stop trying, right? You don't you don't let anything beat you down. And, uh, and in fact, Scott Walker was ultimately beaten, and that's that's a big deal. But also, and I'm, this will be a subtle one here, but it's also learn the rules, right? Figure out you know how how you can use whatever power you have in the most effective ways, even if it's limited. When Democrats had power in Wisconsin before Scott Walker came, they governed from a very centrist, very cautious way. They did not do big things. And they left a lot of space. They left a lot, a lot of room for Walker to maneuver in. Uh, actually, people forget that Scott Walker ran kind of portraying himself as a populist sort of reformer type, right? Mm-hmm. Picking mm-hmm. on the elites in Madison, things like that. Uh, it was as much a lie as what Trump does. But that's the lesson. If, if at this point, uh, Joe Biden is, does get elected, if he comes in, he and Nancy Pelosi and other people need to they need to use everything they've got to, to take that bully pulpit, use executive orders, do all the things they can. Don't be apologetic about it. Don't, be, you know, don't go soft on this fight. And then one final thing, and this is just a delicious end for you that you will appreciate. <laughs> and so I've saved it for the end, Brad. Yeah. Um, when Scott Walker was recalled, he didn't like it. He, right. was, he was not a fan of it. And, yeah. and, uh, and he was looking for ways to... to you know, mess with it. So they, uh, he and his legislative allies ultimately changed the rules on recalls in Wisconsin. They, they way lowered the, the threshold that gets you into a free recount, right, mm-hmm. uh, down to 0.25% of, of, of the vote, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then they um, set an incredibly high cost. So if you're not within that tiny fraction there, mm-hmm. you, you have to pay a ton of money to fund a recount, right? You can, you can yep. still ask for a recount, but it's incredibly expensive, right? Yep. Uh, well, right now, Donald Trump is just outside, just a little outside the, the threshold area. And so he's saying he's going to request a recount in Wisconsin, 
And it isn't going to work. It's not going to upset the Wisconsin result, uh, but it's going to cost him a fortune because of Scott Walker. Well, he'll just keep stealing the money from the taxpayers in order to cover the bills, I suspect. John Nichols, uh, really appreciates joining us today uh, with uh, about five minutes of sleep behind you, I suspect, and and uh, so many lessons still to be learned from whatever is going to happen from here on out. It's always great to talk to you, my friend. I hope we'll, we'll do it again soon. You can find his work, of course, at thenation.com, and you can find John on the Twitters at Nichols Uprising where I suspect the uprising will continue. Thank you, John. Hope to talk to you again soon, my friend. Tremendous honor to be with you, my friend. Great conversation, as always. Thank you. Okay, quick break. And since John wasn't overly optimistic there, I think I have the most optimistic comment of the day. Coming up right after this break, I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The day after the election when it looks like Joe Biden will be the winner, but we will see. I think, without a doubt, uh, Desi Doyen, the most optimistic comment about all of this uh, of the day comes from historian Michael Beschloss, I think, this morning, was it? on uh, On MSNBC. Turnout through the roof. More people voting in this election uh, than any election that we've seen in more than 100 years in America. What does that tell you? It tells us that there are big signs of health in this democracy and that our democracy, at least in certain ways, is flourishing because any political scientist will say that if you want to see how healthy a system is, find out how many people care enough, think that elections matter enough to turn out and vote. Until this year, the highest modern turnout was about 63 percent, 1960, Kennedy versus Nixon. A lot of people interested in that campaign, height of the Cold War. Here we are in 2020, and if the result is that we set a record this year, that's wonderful news. You know, four years ago, Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump, you would think that a lot of people would have wanted to vote, but only about 55% did. It looks as if we will by far beat that record with what happened uh, in the voting the last couple of days. Got that, Des? Yeah. Our democracy is flourishing. It's wonderful news, the big turnout. <laughs> and maybe he's right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. we got a lot of work to do, that's for sure. But it is definitely the most optimistic comment I have heard about all of this. Yep. All day long. All right, now I'm going to go collapse. Uh, we will be with you again tomorrow. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest, John Nichols of The Nation, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated, especially on a day like today. Hope you got some rest. Get some more tonight. Uh, You're still going to need it. 
I I suspect. Uh, if you uh, would like to drop me email, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other we have ever done, download it for free right now at bradblog.com. While you're there, please click on the donate button or stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going as long as we can. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.